0: Welcome to episode 281 of The Digital Life, a show about our insights into the future of design and technology. I'm your host, John Follett, and with me is founder and co-host, Dirk Neumeyer. Greetings, listeners. This week, we'll be discussing the difficulties of establishing an AI code of ethics. So we've addressed ethics before on the show, um, sometimes in relationship to artificial intelligence, sometimes uh, in relationship to design ethics. This week, we're inspired by an article from MIT's Technology Review entitled, Establishing an AI Code of Ethics Will Be Harder Than People Think. So I think that's um, an interesting article, and the subhead to that title uh, was that ethics are too subjective to guide the use of AI, argue some legal scholars, and the article goes on to de- describe some of some of those, which we'll you know dig into a minute here. But to start with, you know, I I, I guess my initial reaction is that uh, ethics right now sort of reminds me of you know where design was in like 1996, which is Nobody knows they need it, and the person who or the company who that gets it right is going to, you know, reap the benefits of it. And further, there aren't probably enough people doing it, so you know, uh, there's a possibility that there could be quite a few sort of jobs providing the human interface layer to artificial intelligence via, you know, design slash ethics. Uh, I I think that's that's going to be Critical as AI moves forward, so Dirk. Before we we dig into some of the substance of this article, you know any any uh, opening thoughts? Well, ethics. What ethics? Right. I
1: mean, I don't know, John. It's it's a continuation of what in the tech industry has been a. I don't. Know, it's even beyond the tech industry. I mean, what in in capitalism has been the corporate, you know, the corporate pursuit of profits. I mean, if you take a company, you know, Google, young company, tech company. Uh, when they started, they had the don't you know don't be evil it was their I don't know if it was their mission or but it was certainly this you know well publicized sort of tentpole of of their company and how they intended to do business and uh, you know since then once they got big they changed it that went away and uh, and they certainly have been evil in in a number of different ways so ethics writ large um, are just things that get in the way for these companies and. As long as they're convenient and not you know barriers to profit, yeah, companies will talk about ethics and wave their little um, manifestos around. but as soon as as soon as ethics get in the way, they go away. Um, I, th- I think we see it over and over again with with the big companies you know I think small companies are are more able to be ethical, but I think big companies are it's just sort of structurally. From a structural perspective, they're inherently unethical. Is it possible to be ethical in an organization of tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people with no direct human relationships between a lot of them, with little accountability, with, um, you know, your incentive models having nothing to do with ethics or ethical behavior but having to do with with profits and growth and and things that often are antithetical to ethics? Um, to me, this is nothing new. You know, it's it's perhaps even more dangerous now that we're getting into the space of, you know, AI and, and machines, thinking machines. But to me, it's just an exacerbation of problems that are,
0: are longstanding. So— I think there are many different levels of ethics. You know, sort of the broader company ethics you you were uh, referring to a little bit there uh, when referencing Google. I think there's the -the face-to-the-world kind of ethics and and how a company may or may not uh, fit into society and produce things for its own benefit or for the benefit of its customers. I think there's a an underlying sort of let's let's call it a small e operational level ethics that is really not practiced very much, at least on the human-computer interaction side just yet. And what I mean by that is, you know, the kinds of ground-level decision-making that might go into creating an algorithm that makes decisions about, you know, uh, how a self-driving car parses information about living beings that it could do damage to, right? So that's different. The, The person designing that algorithm for Google, that's a very different operational level kind of ethics versus the broader, you know, how does Google fit into our society as an organization? And I think on the, call it the small E operational ethics level, I think there needs to be a pretty big expansion of you know, sort of the practice of and understanding of and design of those kinds of decision-making rules, right? And so I think that's in part, you know, the two aren't separate, of course, because, you know, the bigger view of ethics, of course, influences what people are going to be doing on the algorithmic and rulemaking side. But let's take that one step further and dig into a little bit about what this article is addressing, which is... You know, this idea that if you're a lawyer or you're a researcher and you know that AI is going to require some of these ethics and, and accountability and design and implementation, the question comes up with, you know, which is interesting, which is who decides what ethics are in play and then who enforces them, right? So these are the problems that the author of this article, and, and I think that many are sort of rightly sort of arguing, like, how difficult is this nut uh, to it's crack? It's really difficult, so, super difficult, John. And, and a big part of it is technology moves so much
1: faster than government moves, right? I mean, legislation is slow and technology is fast. And these things have already moved past the point of no return before the government can get its head out of its ass.
0: Yeah, so I think there's a top-down view of this um, – operational ethical discussion that is distracting right like that i don't think is sort of sort of maybe in totality, the it shouldn't be the only way we view it. There is there is a bod- which shouldn't be the only way we view it as a top down kind of thing, right? Like, hey, you know, we're 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 going to create these imaginary problems, these imaginary, uh, you know, we're we're going to plan ahead and try to have rules in place so that when we encounter these ethical dilemmas, we'll have this rule and the gate will drop down and the AI will make the right choice, right? And so I think- The metaphors there alone are freaking me out, but let's keep going. Yeah, so in other words, but I mean, how else, I I mean, you know, that's one way to frame it up, right, As top-down. You know, I am interested in the top-down view of it, but I'm also interested in a bottom-up view, right? And the bottom-up view is one that we're ignoring largely because we think that these systems don't exist already, right? So we're trying to think of I guess what I'm advocating for is is transparency in the decision making making auditable systems for AI pattern recognition and decision-making and rulemaking. So, you know, obviously you know, this, you can't have a self-driving car go out and hit a bunch of people and then audit it and say, hey, when you hit the person that was clearly the wrong choice. I mean, not all, all designs lend itself to a bottom-up approach. But for things where you can prototype and test on data sets, you know, for instance, that are pre-existing and can see, you know, what the AI is learning, why it's learning and, and what decisions it's making based on that data, you can go in and, you know, audit that and sort of change the course of the machine learning if you're able to see what's going on, if there is a human in the loop. So I think that a lot of the systems that we talk about where there's a potential bias sort of baked in, those systems are are largely not auditable. And, and I think there's a huge opportunity both on the design side and for a company that can say, we have a transparent AI
1: view. But who validates that? Who, who agrees and decides that it's a transparent AI view? I mean, part of the problem, when I hear you talk about bottom-up, one of the things that scares me is these things are so complex. You know, we we have things like implicit bias that we're sort of understanding more and more about. But even as we understand that it's an issue, we're nowhere near untangling it and figuring out how the hell to get away from it. And these early AI implementations are taking those biases and perpetuating them. You know, I mean, one of the statistics in this article, uh, there was some kind of criminal database, and it was overwhelmingly, I don't know, 85%, 95% black and his. Hispanic people were registered in this database. And the implication there is it's bias being baked in to get more bias to get more bias. And so it's all fine and, and dandy for us to say, oh yeah, company B could come in and have this filter that they put in there and, and test for that and help weed that stuff out. But from a science perspective, we don't know how to weed that stuff out. From a, from a psychological, sociological, I mean, uh, there's different theories and different ideas and little bits and pieces, but we're, we're clueless at the end of the day. Like, we have no clue how to engineer deep implicit bias out of our society without the technology aspect. And so once we bring the technology, you know— now we have the technology. And we're trying to create this, you know, the ethical framework, and and I don't know. To me, I, I I think it's super complicated, and it's not something that can be done correctly from a bottom up perspective. I I fear that the bottom up uh, will risk creating more more issues, and it might be well meaning. It might be well, there isn't anything to guide us and help us figure out what the real problems are here, um,
0: but. Yeah, well, awesome. so I think that just sort of proves the point that we do need, you know, a bottom-up type of audit. So the statistic that you're referring to was sort of made more apparent, right, by the fact that the database is sort of populated largely by minority. Ob- it's um, obviously biased. R- sure. And and that's made obvious by, by the database itself, right? So, I mean, I, I guess there's the question of, okay, well, who – does someone say, "Oh, okay, well that then that's fine"? Which was, I think, your question, which is, who's vetting the uh, who's vetting the, the audit, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but at the same time, I mean, there's an opportunity, right? We don't know how to remove implicit bias from our social systems, but some of these will be made obvious just by the nature of the patterns that are that are being recognized by the AI itself, so. There's some I, cleanup that could be done. sure but,
1: I mean, that's the deck chairs of the Titanic, right? I mean I
0: well, I mean, i I guess you know part of that also has to do with you know what decisions we make now uh, in regards to these patterns where we do see bias, right And so it's an interesting question of how we address this because i I do think as much as we'd like to take steps to do this, there's also just going to be a dearth of people who can sort of in an informed way combine development, AI, computer science, and ethics knowledge and, you know, human factors into one role and be able to sort of suitably converse with both engineering and executives to, you know, make these kinds of choices. I do think the metaphor that I mentioned earlier, comparing, you know, sort of early digital design to where ethics is today, I I mean, I see it just a huge, huge gap on the human side, you know, the human factor side. In fact, it's it's probably worse than the design gap was, because it's unclear to me where these Multi-talented people will come from, you know. Certainly, you know, it's a unique skill set and one that's that's not present in a lot of people. Um, I certainly wouldn't be qualified to talk to, you know, AI engineers and and executives about this this kind of decision making. Mm-hmm. One other point I wanted to make, just you know, as we're sort of discussing the ins and outs of this, is that um, our view of AI has largely shaped been shaped to be a technical view. And in part of that is because AI is engineering heavy right now. We're less Well AI um, is a product of engineering, right? Sure. So the technical underpinnings of AI are are sort of the most important drivers of the discussion right now. What can we do with it? What's possible? You know, and and the complexities of that technical discussion around the AI product. At the same time, I think there's a cultural gap or call it a design or a culture gap on, you know, the AI product side that we don't have with other types of technology. Like when we have a discussion around cars, you know, gearheads will talk technically about it, but that's not uh, – there's a cultural layer to our discussions around certain technical objects where people are comfortable talking about them, even if they're not technicians. Right now, AI is the realm of far-fetched fantasy and technical jargon. There isn't a cultural discussion in the middle, which is, I think, also making it harder to uh, germinate these sort of ethical discussions and rule sets and decision-making. I think there's a third category of irresponsible media ca- characterization, but I
1: understand your, your broader point. Yeah, I was trying to cover that in the flights of fantasy. Well, not everything the media is saying is flights of fantasy, but a lot of it is still rubbish despite that.
0: Yeah, I'd put the killer robots one into the fantasy me too. department. Me too, John. Me too. So to me, having seen you know just sort of a, a, a few needs around auditing of machine learning, you know, just at the studio recently and, and figuring out ways to make that possible for managers to be able to, you know, understand what machine learning is doing. I can see that, that need across other industries. We, we largely work in, in healthcare. Uh, so we see, you know, AI being applied in healthcare, of course. But I can see the need for pulling back the covers on machine learning patterns for you know any number of industries i mean healthcare clearly has it's has uh, you know some some important areas that need to be vetted but you know transportation e-commerce etc um uh, those are all areas that that are going to require that ai not be a black box and and i guess that's that's what it comes down to for me is that whether this is a set of rules that we apply from the top down or auditing mechanisms that we apply in the bottom up or perhaps both this idea that ai can be a black box that magically executes things for us that's just that is not true and that is a you know that perception needs to be fought against i think Listeners, remember that while you're listening to the show, you can follow along with the things that we are mentioning here in real time. Just head over to thedigitallife.com, that's just one L in The Digital Life, and go to the page for this episode. We've included links to pretty much everything mentioned by everyone, so it's a rich information resource to take advantage of while you're listening or afterward if you're trying to remember something that you liked. You can find The Digital Life on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Player FM, and Google Play, And if you'd like to follow us outside of the show, you can follow me on Twitter at John Follett. That's J-O-N-F-O-L-L-E-T-T. And of course, the whole show is brought to you by GoInvo, a studio designing the future of healthcare and emerging technologies, which you can check out at GoInvo.com. That's G-O-I-N-V-O.com. Dirk? You can follow me on Twitter at D. Niemeyer. That's at D-K-N-E-M-E-Y-E-R. And thanks so much for listening. So that's it for episode 281 of The Digital Life. For Dirk Niemeyer, I'm John Follett, and we'll see you next time.